Revelation chapter 1. Grab your Bible and um, I want to encourage you to follow along with me. Um, If you're a note taker, take notes. Um, If you are um, a good listener, really tune in this morning. Uh, But I really want to encourage you, follow along with Scripture. Um, See it for your own eyes. This is not just something Paul makes up. Uh, These are inspired words from God. And we're going to be reading uh, Revelation. Last book, Revelation to John you have a King James, it's the Apocalypse. But we have ESV. Starting in verse 1 through verse 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Of Jesus Christ, even all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood to make us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who have pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. So Revelation, first five chapters. Where am I going? The book of Revelation has, by many folks, been uh, contorted into this uh, book of numerology. If you understand the numbers, you will understand everything. But rarely is the book of Revelation ever considered a book of encouragement. Uh, just a conversation with my wife and even with Laura Reddick this morning. Said, and this is not, maybe this is how you feel too. When you consider the book of Revelation, you go, I'm a little scared. I have no idea quite how to handle this book. I feel like I need to have a whole new set of tools. I need to, uh, I need to be like a, a PhD, a doctoral student at least, to be able to dive into this and get anything out of it. When you get into the middle of it, you know, you get beyond the seven churches that are in Asia, all of a sudden it's like, okay, the seven-headed beast and all these writers and these plagues and all these 
things, you know, okay, what is this really all about? So this, I, I, I just want to dispel what this series, this 12-week series, is not going to be about. This is not going to be 12 weeks of predicting when Jesus is coming. It's going to be a book of anticipation, of longing for Jesus' coming. So if you're looking to see if Paul and some of you geeky people are going to get all excited because I'm using these words, you're not going to find out if I'm a pre-trib, a post-trib, or an amillennialist guy. Okay? So that, from the beginning, you're not going to find out whether Paul believes that Jesus is going to come before the tribulation or after the tribulation or whether the tribulation... You're not going to hear that from me. Okay? Those are important things, but that is not going to be the gist. So what are we doing in this? Well, first of all, in doing my research, there are kind of two famous statements about preaching uh, that illustrate uh, a growing divide in North American culture. And stick with me. Reflecting kind of poetically um, on the urgency and the centrality of preaching, a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter once remarked this. And he always, Richard Baxter always kind of had this kind of fatalistic view about himself. But this is profound. He said this about preaching. I preach as never sure to preach again. And as a dying man to dying men. He preaches as a dying, like I, I, I should be preaching in a way that I am never sure that I'm going to see you next Sunday. Because I'm never sure I'm going to be here and I'm never sure you're going to be here. Death may come to you, so I need to preach as a dying man to dying men and women. That is Richard Foster's view. In contrast, in contrast, there's a statement uh, from... Uh, Harry Emerson Fosdyke, uh, he was, some people can consider him a famous, and I consider him more of him an infamous preacher of the, the uh, 20th century's earlier decades. And what he believed when it came to preaching, that preaching, he explained, is personal counseling on a group level. So there's kind of two ways of preaching that have emerged onto our, our platforms. Baxter, for Baxter, the promise of heaven and the horrors of hell frame the preacher's just consuming burden. I have got to share the gospel. And it is absolutely critical that you understand how then to live. Here is the gospel, and I've got to share the gospel again and again so that it may transform your life, as opposed to the preacher who is just kind, a kindly counselor offering helpful advice and encouragement. So how, how do I, Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 8, how then do I share this morning? What, what is it, how, how do I come to you? Do I come to you with, okay, well, let me just give you some fatherly counseling advice about how then you should live. 
here's going to be 12 weeks on nice counseling. Or do I come to you as a dying man, to dying men, preaching the gospel faithfully, week in, week out? Charles Spurgeon, when confronted with the same pattern in his day and age, where many of the, they were kind of the the beginning of the, you know, 12, here's a four-week series on how you should live in your marriage. Here's how you should parent. Here's how you should do this. Here's how you should do that. The pulpiteers of his day were taking over, creating these warm, fuzzy little churches. And this is how he viewed his role. He said this, the true ambassador for Christ feels that he himself stands before God and has to deal with the souls in God's stead as God's servant and stands in a solemn place, a place in which unfaithfulness is inhumanity to man as well as treason to God. John, St. John, was exiled. He was on the island of Patmos because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you read some of the how, uh, what John's look, life looked like, he was one who was boiled as a torture to get him to recant. And finally, they just put him on the island of Patmos as a way to get him out. And so John is on the island of Patmos and he receives the revelation of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. And you are going to hear a kind of passion from John. A kind of passion that is deep-rooted in something more than four weeks to a better marriage. Four weeks to how to be a better man or a better woman. Four weeks, it's going to be far better than that. You are going to hear a sense of urgency in his voice. You hear him even say in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and Who do what? Who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So there's blessings for you. Who There's a blessing for me as I'm reading the words of Scripture. Because you got to understand this was probably a circular letter that was passed around from church to church. And so there was a blessing to the lector. The one who read these words. So all they had were the words written on parchment. And John was saying, blessed are you, the one who reads these words. So there's even a blessing for you just to hear these eight verses. But there's also a blessing for you who receive it and hear it. And not only hear it, but do what? You obey, right? You listen, you receive, and you obey. And this hearing is same, the same kind of essence as the Shema an early Jewish prayer that they would say in the morning every time they would get up and they'd rise, they'd lay down wherever they would go. There's this constant blessing that they would say. Here's, here's what it was. It came from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. So it's this weighty thing that, that the early Israelites and even early Christians said, these words shall be on my heart. And then Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 11, he said this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and what? Keep it. So in the next 12 weeks, I want you to know that Revelation is not intended to kind of tickle our fancy or to make us be smarter about when Jesus is coming back, but rather the message is to strengthen our hearts, to give us a resolve of Jesus is coming in the midst of our junk, our trials, our pains, our, our pressure from culture wanting us to compromise. Jesus is coming again. So we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book is important for Missio Dei Church. It shouldn't just merely flit our brain or lead to vain speculations, but it should lodge into our hearts and produce a practical response. If this sermon series does not affect some kind of practical response, we're missing it. And this response is of keeping it. We are to be keeping God's commands. So I'm going to promise you, it's not going to be an easy 12 weeks. Promise. Some of you are going to walk away convicted going, oh man, I wish I would have just stayed in bed. Some of you do that anyway, but but I want us to become engrossed in the overall story. That we're to praise the Lord, we're to cheer for the saints, we're to detest Satan and his works, and we are to long for final victory. Long for that. Revelation assures us that Christ knows our condition. He calls us to be steadfast, to stand against all temptation. It assures us that our victory has been secured by the blood of the Lamb. It assures us that Christ will come again to defeat once and for all Satan and all his agents. And that we, he assures us that we, his people, will enjoy everlasting peace in his presence. In this first section, John is setting the tone for our victory. He is setting the tone for our victory. And look with me. We see that it's a revelation from Jesus, and there's a blessing. So the first thing, starting at verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. And then you see this Trinitarian picture. From him who is, 
who was and who is to come. And, so you got God the Father, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, you got the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. This is our great source for perseverance, for pushing through, because we have grace and peace from the triune God. He has promised his grace and peace, first from God the Father, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And if you listen to this, part of you is going, okay, chronologically, John must have had a hiccup. From him who was and is and is to come. Shouldn't it be chronological? You know, because that kind of drives my my mind insane. Come on, like it is. History happens progressively. But John is saying here, you have grace and peace from him who is. This is a promise. You have grace and peace from the God who is now. He is the God who is in your life now. He's present. you got issues. you got problems. He's talking to the churches in Asia along the area of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, where they received tremendous amount of persecution. Grace and peace to you from him who is. Your God who is with you now. You have trials and persecutions and issues today in your life. You need to hear that you have grace and peace from him who is. The God who is now. He's alive and working in your life now. If you don't like Sarah's prayer request, man, I I look back and I see. But can you see him today? Because he is the God who is working today. But he doesn't stop there, does he? From him who is and was. This is the God who is active in our past history. Who is preparing this pathway even for us. I I look at my own personal life and I look at a legacy of godly parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. People that I did not know who We're laying a pathway for me through Jesus Christ, through God the Father. Some of you, your story does not look like mine. You see a God who is today. Man, God has done something. But you also see your history is shorter. But you see his faithfulness of how God has put certain people in your life for the sake of bringing you to him. He is a God who is and who was. But there's also the promise that he is a God who is to come. And that brings great hope. That we are to persevere, keep pushing on, because we know that all things will be complete and brought together perfectly in the end. Yes, we have salvation today. We have hope for today. But someday, someday, All things will come together. No more death. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more sickness. He's the God who is to come where Satan is going to be defeated once and for all. 
That is the work. That is grace and peace from God the Father. And then you have grace and peace from who? The seven spirits which are before his throne. Who are the seven spirits and why seven spirits? Are there really seven spirits? No. If you know how all the way Old Testament through New Testament, seven is this number of absolute perfection and completion. And besides, spirits cannot offer, if you think that maybe these are actually spirits, spirits cannot offer grace and peace. So this is a picture of the, the Holy Spirit in his total completion, giving you grace and peace. And you can even see in 1 Peter and, and in 2 Corinthians 13 that the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our grace and our peace. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit bringing peace. In fact, it's the, the Spirit who is before the throne at the heart of the Godhead who knows the deep truths of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10, check it out. He knows the deep truths of God. And he's mentioned here. And I love this, even this picture, as John takes us into the holy sanctuary. It, it's a picture we even see in the Jewish tabernacle. And it was a copy and a shadow of things to come. You can see the holy trinity even in the, the tabernacle. You've, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God. You have the seven-branched lampstand in the holy place, as it represents the Holy Spirit. And you have the courtyard before all those things, which contains the altar, with its priests and its sacrifice, representing, of course, the redeeming work of Christ. So we receive grace and peace from the Holy Spirit. It's even the Holy Spirit that reminds us. Reminds us of Scripture. That reminds us of Jesus Christ. That points us to Jesus Christ. And talk about a gift of grace right there that brings about peace. When you are in your deepest trials, your deepest pain, my hope is that the Spirit that as you are memorizing Scripture, you're in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit just reminds you, hey, Jesus, remember? Remember? In all these trials and tribulations and issues, joblessness and struggles and friendlessness and relationship issues, and Jesus, let me point you to Jesus. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, the Son of God has the fullest description. And it's an allusion to if you look in Psalm 89, verse 27 and 37, you see that in the Psalms, Psalm 89, it, it, 
It points to the threefold office of Jesus Christ as prophet, as priest, as king. And so you see here that Jesus is the prophet, the one who came to bear witness to the world of the gospel of the salvation of Jesus Christ. The, the loving condescension is for us. He has come down for us and he is bearing witness to the gospel. You also see him as a priest who has offered himself and died and then risen from the dead to obtain new life for us. He has freed us later on. He has freed us with his blood. Freed us from our sins with his blood. And brings us to a whole new exodus, a whole new life. And he is now exalted as the king of kings. He is the king of kings. So we move on. You see here, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood to make us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Even so, amen. You get this. So what are the accomplishments that we have security What are the accomplishments of our Savior? Well, for one, He has loved us. He has so loved us that what did He do? Philippians 2, He, he took on flesh and He dwelt among us. He became sin for us. He bore the wrath of God. And that is an ultimate love act. He came and gave. He loved us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved that he sent his son. And then he freed us. I love it. His love and his conquest over sin gives us security in the midst of trials and disasters everything that Revelation shows, everything in our life that we know about, he has come and conquered those things. And it gives us motivation to persevere when temptation, when persecution or weariness threatens to overwhelm us. Do you see what happens when, when this takes place and we're freed from our sins? Do you see what happens? He makes us into this kingdom. A kingdom. He, he, he doesn't just leave us isolated. He brings us into a kingdom. And he makes us priests before his God and Father. We are brought into a family. A community of believers. A kingdom. Yes, we're local, but we're also global. We are a kingdom together. So his, his love and his freeing us from our sins has created a new community. He has brought you here this morning to be a part of a kingdom. To do priestly work. To share the gift of salvation. You see, God's saints enjoy God's rule. And we have intimate access. Intimate. 
You see this in, in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are able to draw near to God. And it talks about, man, he has created us. A, a priest, a high priest was not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies except one time a year. And at that time, there was all kinds of Jewish um, writings that talked about a priest had to make sure that he had clean thoughts. That he went through all the rituals for purification. Because, and, and there was even historical documents that talked about how they tied a rope around the leg of a high priest who was to go into the Holy of Holies. Because if there was any impure thoughts before a holy God, what would happen? Dad, drag the guy out and hope we have a backup. But now we, according to Hebrews 10, can draw near to God. We now can come before him. Intimate access to a holy God. 1 Peter 2 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We now can draw near and give our lives as spiritual, acceptable sacrifices to God. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 2 says, so, honor, so, so the honor is for you who believe. It's an honor, a privilege to come before God, a holy God. And we're also called, according to verse 9 of, of, of Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. John almost breaks out into a song here. Do you hear? To him be glory and dominion forever. Look at what Jesus has done. We receive grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the Holy Spirit which is before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on the earth. To him who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us into a kingdom priests before his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let it be. He breaks out into worship. He is doing what? He is proclaiming the excellencies of God. 
Let me tell you, he is faithful. In response to God's salvation, praise and worship are fitting. It's a theme that you you see throughout all of Revelation. Chapter 4, 8, 4, verse 11. Chapter 5, 9 through 10, and verses 12 and 13. You see it in chapter 7, verse 12, 11, verse 15, and verses 17 through 18. You see it in chapter 12, 10 through uh, 12. You see it in chapter 15. You see it again in 19. Utterances of praise are integral, absolutely integral to our lives. True worship expresses our allegiance to God, and this worship should then spill over with profound effect. And an integral aspect of our worship, we should long for the second coming of Christ. I think of the song Amazing Grace. When we've been there, what? 10,000 years, bright, shining in the sun, we've in the last days, sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's this, man, I am longing. I'm long. When you sing songs like that, I hope your heart is stirred. Of anticipating this coming king that is worthy of our praise. He has accomplished so much of our salvation here and now, but oh, that day, oh, that day, when he comes again. We have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And how are we reassured of, of this? What's our unshakable basis for this confidence? Verse 8. God puts his stamp of approval on. He, he says, listen... I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm it. I know if I've, I've already stated that already. I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come. But he comes at the end and says, listen, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am able to accomplish everything that I have promised. Everything now, everything then, and everything that is to come. Church, Missio Dei Church, He is able to sustain us. As we go forward in mission, His mission, not Paul Vroom's, not the elders, not the deacons, not our consensus, His mission as we go forward, as we live in this world, that is pressing in on every side. We are able to live faithfully because of his grace and peace. Because the Almighty has promised it. So you think that you can't do it? Maybe it's because you don't fully understand the grace and peace that has been given to you. 
can't do another day of this. Yes, you can. I'm not sure I can live as faithfully as I'm called to live. Yes, you can. And he has given you everything that you need to accomplish his will today. Because he's the one who is. Today he is faithful to accomplish it. Today he is faithful to accomplish it. Because he has proven it in the past. Read the Old Testament. But he also promises, I'm the one who will come again. And I will accomplish this faithfully. Why? Because I'm the alpha. I have the first word. And I have the last word. I'm the Almighty. So this gives us hope. Amen. So we're going to be commemorating a meal of grace and peace. the grace and peace that we have from the God the Father, grace and peace from the Holy Spirit, and grace and peace from Jesus Christ. And we come to this meal, commemorating this meal with confidence, knowing that the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, guarantees His promises. So those who are in Christ, He guarantees his promises. His yes is yes. And he will be true. The sin and the weight that the baggage that you carry around says cast all your cares upon me. Because what you're carrying around is not worth carrying around. My burden is light. It's good news. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body. Broken for you. In the same way, He took the cup of blessing saying this is my blood poured out for you. And remember the words of John who said to him who has freed us from our sins with what? His blood. Those who are serving please come forward. Take a moment to examine yourselves. The table is open to all who have confessed Him with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord.
there's sin that you need to repent of, repent knowing that He is faithful and just to remove all unrighteousness. So come, for all things are ready.